Welcome to the Cracking On With Purpose podcast, where high achievers reveal the routine and habits that help them get things done. My name is Sean Winfield, entrepreneur, coach and motivator, an ex-fitness professional, qualified coach and NLP practitioner of 20 years, the founder of Co-Startup & Go, who have worked with over 90 startups globally, helping them grow. I now work with entrepreneurs to help them create the world they want. The Cracking On With Purpose podcast creates the opportunity to speak with a series of fantastic guests, all who have achieved a great deal and also learned a great deal along the way. They will be sharing some of their learning and habits that have supported them. This episode's guest is David Savage. David started his career as a technology recruiter and spent a decade exploring the role people play in shaping the sector before being asked to step into the role of group technology evangelist for the Harvey Nash Group. Going on to launch Tech Talks, a podcast offering honest insights and a community leaders can tap into. Tech Talks is now a regular member of the Apple Podcast Top 50 podcast chart. David, welcome. Great to be speaking with you today. I've been looking forward to our conversation immensely. I think we connected quite some time ago, didn't we now? A number of years ago, right? Yeah, maybe three years ago. Maybe maybe even longer. I mean, it was a while before the slight insanity of the last year and a half. So, yeah. Right. So it feels actually even longer in a good way. So great to be speaking with you today. I happen to know how much you do and how much value you bring to the startup ecosystem and so much more. It would be great to kick off with hearing a little bit more about your journey and kind of what took you to where you are today. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I get asked about this, I always, it's complete accident. Journey is 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 probably less of a description as kind of falling from one thing into the next and uh, trying to pick up the pieces and go, all right, yeah, that makes sense. I have got to this point via not really knowing what I wanted to do for a very long time. I would say that I was in my late 20s, early 30s before I had any real clarity about what I truly enjoyed. But having had a hell of a lot of experiences that have actually been building blocks without me really realising along the way. So... Today, running the podcast, running video interviews, speaking at conferences, moderating panels, love moderating panels, love love being around other people and talking to them and learning from them. But if I rewind to kind of 20, 19, 20 years old, couldn't get up in front of a room of eight people and string two words together. You're, you're kidding me. Wow. No, I, I really, yeah, it was awful. Hated it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Tell, tell me, wow, there's a, there's a big jump from then to today? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I ran, I, so at university, I basically did no studying. I very nearly flunked the first year because I didn't study and had to resit some papers, which is quite embarrassing. My parents are always kind of pulling their hair out because I was typical of, of, of a teenage boy who was bone idle and did just enough to get by. I got to university and actually, whilst I I did eventually kind of pull my finger out a little bit around my studies. I, I threw myself into everything else. Uh, and so sports and volunteering and student media. And I ran for an elected position in the cricket club. I ran for one of the captaincy roles in the cricket club, second team captain in, in at the end of my first year. And that was talking to a group of my friends about why I should be captain. And I just, I couldn't do it. I just struggled to get the words out. Thankfully, they, they liked me and did elect me over the guy who turned out then to be my best man and I was his best man, 
which is quite funny. Having got involved in a lot of stuff at university, I got asked if I would run for an elected position. I got asked whether or not I'd run for the student union sabbatical post of VP Sports and Societies, which was basically the, the elected student taking a year out of studies or at the end of, of studies in my case, and running the 52 sports clubs, running the 200 plus societies, managing their budget, and that meant getting elected. And that meant electing hustings and speeches and getting thrown off the deep end. And I'd always been quite good at one-on-one -on -one interaction, but that was like, oh, okay, you got, you got to do this then. And then from there, once I was elected, you know, I was in the position where it was like, right, you're the student union spokesperson. We've got lecture hall two full of 250, 300 prospective students and their parents go in there and tell them about the students' union. <laughs> so it was like, oh, okay, yeah. So that that was a crash course. And, and I think I think what I've discovered is just saying yes to stuff generally gets you by quite well. But I imagine if you're suddenly standing in front of people, there's no really where else to go. And and, and I, I guess you're just driven about your with the passion to do what you wanted to actually do rather than worrying too much about the speaking. Tell me how you how you handled that, because it's, it's yes, you were third in the middle there, but there must have been some driver to make you do that, right? Yeah, look, I was very passionate about sports at the university. I was very passionate about being involved in the student community. I felt that I could offer something and that it would be good for me. I mean, there was a selfish aspect that I felt would be good for my career and good for my personal development. And so I really wanted to have that opportunity. And at Essex, which was is a small university at the time, kind of 8,000 students on campus, um, 2,000, 2,500 people tended to vote, so quite high turnout. That meant doing the, the the dirty work in terms of getting elected. So yeah, it was just it was just a necessity, but one that forced me to kind of have that slight switch in your head that goes from I look really stupid up here doing this to oh actually I've got something to say and maybe people want to listen. And for me, whenever I talk about public speaking and doing anything around kind of content and media, it's that thing of oh you know that, nerv that the nervousness people have around I'm going to sound really stupid versus. Actually, you're not going to sound stupid. You're talking about something that you know about, that you're passionate about. And people want to listen. People choose to tune in and listen because there's some value there. Absolutely. And it's getting started to, to reach that passion point, that, that beginning bit with, with you know the average Joe, where most people are like, I don't particularly like the idea of speaking in this forum. But if it's something that you're really passionate about, you actually completely forget once you're, once you're getting on with it, right? I play trombone. Haven't done for years, but I did when I was uh, to quite good standard when I was younger. And it was that thing about performance. You're like you're nervous before you get on stage, but when you get on stage, you remember. Oh, actually, I, I know this piece and I can play this instrument. This is fine. And within about ninety seconds, you're kind of enjoying it. And it's that kind of process. And it's the same thing when you get on stage and and you talk in front of a group of people beforehand. You're like, oh god, probably going to forget everything. And then you get up there and go, all right, first few words. They're coming out fine, and within 30 seconds, you're absolutely fine. It feels normal. Yeah, fantastic. They say, actually, if you, rather than focus on sort of positive inverted comic goals, if you focus on the things that you fear the most in terms of the most difficult task or goal that you could possibly go for, they say go for the ones that you're sort of almost fearful of because they're the ones that give you those great breakthroughs. So clearly that clearly that works, David. <laughs> so... Uh, that leads us really nicely onto the next bit I wanted to talk through with you. It's like this whole mindset thing in terms of the attitude and the mindset around succeeding or succeeding in your chosen career or your area. It plays a really important part in how you show up and the mindset, the focus that you need at the different times. And the different types of mindset 
along the way. How has an awareness of that helped you with what you've, you've achieved so far? I never have a very clear idea of where I'm going in terms of, you know, if you know those traditional interview questions, well, where do you see yourself in two years, five years, ten years? Like rubbish. No idea where I see myself in five years. Where do I see myself in a year? Well, I've got specific goals that I want to, to achieve. And it's kind of like breaking it down like a project. Right. Here's this series of content. Here's this idea. Here's this event. And I want, I want this to be the outcome. And I will work at this and I will see where we get to in six months to a year. And then we'll take stock. And maybe it works and it flies and it grows. Or maybe it doesn't work and you take a step back from it and you have a rethink and you go again. But it's that mindset all the way through my career of just focus on the near future. Just focus on what you can control over the next six months to a year and then reassess, reassess, reassess. And I, if I think about that, that led to me, my job changing every couple of years. I've never gotten stale or bored in my career because I constantly found myself having new challenges put in front of me. I think because my attitude was not where I want to be in five years. That's, 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 you can't manage that. And therefore I, I sometimes think that you meander. But if you go, no, 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 I want to achieve these particular targets over the next six months to a year, stuff happens. Yeah, right. Uh, that's, that's really smart. And actually, it's right, it really taps into the fact that we do change. Five years is, is you can have a strategic business goal. You can have goals or personal goals, whatever that might be. But that five years of personal development in between that time can really change what you actually want to do. And I think it goes back to the old hat way of thinking, setting up a business, write a business plan. Where do you want to be? Two, three, five years. Let's write this down. Let's map it out. And actually, it sounds like you found a really authentic way to keep yourself engaged with things by moving forward, but in a, a really smart way that you can move into what's in front of you. And, you know, if, if, if authenticity and passion are the things that drive you in your career and keep you learning and keep you interested, then having stuff that you are actively working towards that you really care about there and then and that, that are manageable, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's just prioritising, isn't it? But having those few things to work on gives you that focus and that energy. And I think it's, it's that idea that when you've kind of got a, 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 an inbox and it's overflowing and you've got loads of tasks and you don't know where to start, you know, you just focus down on on one or two things that you can control and don't worry about the bigger bit. It's, this, it's the same idea. It's not that, it's not, it's not anything particularly revolutionary, but it, from a mindset point of view, it's always been that attitude of breaking it down into two or three things that I can affect. And, I, and I'm really kind of keyed into that, I think helps. There's a little bit, that's cool. It's a little bit of a sort of a sportsman's sort of mindset as well in terms of if you're doing a really long, hardcore race, you're not thinking about, I've got to get to that. You're thinking about just stay on form, stay on my, stay, keep this lap on time, keep what I'm doing now in front of me and, uh, you know, doing the best that I can at this piece and then getting, maintaining that and seeing how that takes you in that last, in that last mile, you may go, right, I've had a lot more, I can sprint this, but you're not thinking about the last mile, you're just maintaining where you are, your pace, your focus. Totally. I mean, I, I, I'm certainly not an elite sports person, but I love running. Played a lot of cricket when I was younger to a reasonable standard, but I love, I love running and have done for the last four or five years. And I ran from Southwark Cathedral to Canterbury Cathedral about six to seven weeks ago, which was what, 87 miles across three days. So it was, it was two ultra marathons and then a distance just under a marathon back to back, but cross country. And if you kind of look at it as a whole and go, oh, I've got to run, you know, you're halfway through the first day and I've still got 60 odd miles to run. You kind of go, I don't know whether I'm up for this. 
But if you break it down by 10 kilometer chunks and then refuel, how are you feeling? And then you get to the end of the first day. Was my nutrition right? Wasn't it right? What do I need to do differently? How do I kind of, yeah, exactly. Breaking it down into manageable chunks is the way that you get through stuff like that. Definitely. And that's that's the whole mini goal setting thing, right? Achieve, reignite, keep that fire burning, cracking on, getting on with the next thing. I love that. So I happen to know you are pretty busy, busy and you've got lots of different things going on. So how do you kind of organise your sort of day, your week, your month? How do you keep on top of all the different things that you actually have to do? Do you have any sort of cool ways of doing that, tools or techniques or how organised are you, David? <laughs> Probably not very. I didn't get told. My diary can be... Uh be a bit of a mess. No, you know what? Genuinely, it's it's not getting distracted by noise, like having a really clear understanding about what you're trying to achieve, understanding who your audience is. And I don't necessarily mean in terms of the content, but whose benefit you're doing the work for and why. You know, when, when you talk about stakeholders in a business and keeping sponsorship, it's, it's that kind of idea of constantly, who are your stakeholders? Who are you doing this for? What level of sponsorship do you have? What's going to keep that going? And you can very easily make yourself busy without really affecting anything. But if you go, no, this is what I'm working on right now. My line manager at the minute is a sponsor into the to the board level. And what he's great about is kind of going, let's talk, let's talk about a terms of reference. And it's like an annual thing of a right, it's almost like a contract, a loose contract between me and what I want to deliver. And then every three months going, right, here's a new set of goals. But then referring back to the terms of reference, which has kind of an overall objective of what is it that we are trying to achieve. And and referring back, and when you're kind of looking at stuff and you're looking at should I go to XYZ conference? Should I go, should I, should I take on this project? Should I get involved in this? Does it fit into that terms of reference? Does it contribute to what you're trying to do in that moment or not? And if it doesn't, kind of be ruthless and say, well, no, that's that's not part of my agenda. That's not going to h- either help me or the people that I'm I'm working for or with. That's really smart because it keeps you the way that you work in line with really what your what the ultimate goal is and the focus. It's easy to lose that and get lost in the day to day of actually doing stuff. What am I going to do today? And how? What's this email saying? And what's this? You know, what does this this opportunity is coming? Oh, I'm excited about that. But you're right, being really stern about what that is and what that represents and whether it keeps you on track with what you're ultimately looking to achieve is, is really important definitely one of the things that's been really apparent over the, like the last year year and a half I mean more so than ever is it's kind of the balance between work and life and I think we've you know I think everyone has has found clarity in their coping strategies is probably a nice way to put it over the last year and a half but we've all had our own journey right and and actually there are there are often silver linings in these things but it doesn't mean it hasn't been it hasn't been difficult so with regards to kind of how we one keeps on track with work and switching off and then life and just that balance how do you keep you you know your life balance with all the different things you're going on I know you're a sporty chap right so you just said you did that like, I'm quite interested to hear how on earth you managed to squeeze in the training for that, for example. <laughs> I was already in a position where I could where I could do that. So I have an underlying health condition, which requires me to keep pretty fit because there's no treatment or cure for it. So that means that every single day I'm a little bit slavish and I have a program and I know what I'm working out on and I know how much I need to run and I set myself goals. 
And actually that does relate to the first part of the question because it helps me break things up. So I know for a fact that I'm rubbish at working out or running in the afternoon. I hate running after lunch. So I run in the morning and I work out in the morning and I'll wake up and it'll be the first thing that I do. And then I'll walk down into the village and I'll get a coffee and I'll spend time away from my desk. And I purposefully don't really log on till about nine o'clock. I might do a little bit of work actually before those things. I might answer a few emails and whatever else, but I find that I'm productive in the morning and that gets me in the right frame of mind. And then I'll, I'll be really good through to 12, one o'clock. I then know that I'm rubbish in the early afternoon and mid-afternoon. I am, I could be sitting here, but I'm not productive. If I, unless I'm on an interview, interviewing someone, creating content, unless there's a specific task, I'm useless. So I've accepted that over the last year. And I've kind of gone, right, sod it. If I want to go for another walk or even lie down and, and just have a nap, you know, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I know that whatever I'm going to do is not going to be very good until about four o'clock. So I'll accept that and I'll chill out. And then when I come back at four or five o'clock, it's because I feel ready and I feel energized and I feel like I can do stuff. And then I'm kind of quite happy to work through to kind of six or seven o'clock until I'm kind of eating or making dinner or whatever else. Or if I need to pick the laptop up at eight or nine o'clock to do something, it doesn't feel like a chore because I've not been sat stuck at a desk all day. So my work hours have bled into really weird kind of time sets or time frames, but it, it works for me. And I think the biggest thing that from a, from a work-life balance piece that I think has been transformative about this, this year is the ability for people to go, actually, this works for me. And if you've got a job that allows it, and I am in a lucky position where I have editorial deadlines that I set and therefore, you know, other people are not waiting on me to necessarily do something during the course of the day. But if you're in that position where you've got tasks like that, then you can kind of work out what works for you and what doesn't. Instead of sitting there in an office because you're told to, struggling through in the middle of the afternoon, knowing that what you're doing is a load of rubbish. Yes, I really like I really like that. You've really tuned into when you perform best throughout the day. And I think you're right. That that nine to five, like let's go into the office, let's stare at the sit, sit in the same space all the time, sit, do the same stuff and expect to perform very well. Four hours, then a break, and then four hours for lunch. It's this very old hat and very stale. You're right. And actually to get into the space where you're actually leaning into how you perform best in the day is to allow those things to happen. You're right. I think over the last year and a half, what has been the positive of many people either working from home or having the space to think about what they would like to do with the work or picking up hobbies is if you're working, like, well, I can walk outside while I have this call or I can have a break at this point or I can quickly work out on the bike that's in my sitting room or whatever it may be. It's given us almost permission, right, which seems crazy to lean into a, a way of working that's more in tune with who we are. And I love the fact that you completely own that. And I, I agree. So often one works and I, you know, I do it, we all do it, where, where you're working against yourself. You're like, I've gone back and forward through this X time. I just don't feel like playing ball right now, right? And then it's like, definitely need that cup of tea. Definitely need to see what's happening on LinkedIn for a fourth time. It's like, well, how productive are you being? You're not really at work. You're just kind of in between it. So why not own that and stop and refresh and then and then come back? And I think this, this last year has definitely given us permission to, and I think that's the right word, to kind of work out how we work best, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic kind of feeling in that first lockdown or 
in between. I can't remember exactly when we were when we were allowed to. But that thing of you know, if, if I got a call from work and it's like, oh, you're not at your desk. Like, no, no, I'm just just popping out very quickly. I'll be back shortly. And then now it's like I'll get a call and it's like, oh, right, what are you up to? Well, I've just popped down to the coffee shop. I'll be back in like 15 minutes. What's up? And just being like, that's fine because I know I know in myself that I will deliver what I need to deliver and that I am available. But I'm just accepting that that's that's the way that I work and and that for me being sat here all day actually doesn't mean that I produce anything that's better. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, despite what you're having to do, the fitness to be on top of the fitness for, I think there's an awareness of how important our mindset and training of physical health actually is. And I think for those that are looking to increase the performance or stay focused, there is a something that's pivotal around our health and our wellness and our fitness that we so often forget. How can we be at our best working or delivering things if we're physically not fit or as well as we, we can be, right? Yeah. Another thing that would be great to touch base on, actually, and I've been wondering how you do this. So there are various sort of tools and techniques that, that we use for kind of keeping on top of how long we spend on tasks. This goes back to kind of into how a day can take you away and then you're off and you're doing the same task for, for, for however many hours. How, how, how good are you with your kind of the, the time management aspect of, of things that you need to get done and, 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 how, and how you do that? So, so for example, I, I block time in my diary for specific half an hour, an hour to kind of go, this is the space that I've created for this. I'm turning my phone off or I'm ignoring whatever it might be and I kind of do the task and then I come back to it and I kind of have an awareness that that's my little zone that I go into getting stuff done in a in a time-managed way to, 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 to the extent that that's able to happen. Tell me, do you have any particular ways of doing that that, that help you? Well, I, I, as I said at the top, I feel like my my how I got here is is less of a journey and more of a series of falling over and going, oh, that works, and very haphazard. And one of the building blocks to the way that I work now, I suppose, is having spent, you know, the best part of 10 years as a hands-on recruiter. And recruitment is slavish to process and detail. If you're going to be good at it, you've got to be really good at finer details. And I'm not very good at admin, as I've said, but being able to organise your time efficiently. Because, you know, as a contract recruiter, which I was, there was that element of you've got to do business development, you've got to find CVs, you've got to resource these jobs. And you'd have someone on it, you going, where are you at with delivery of X, Y, and Z? And you might have like, I don't know, five, six, seven clients all expecting shortlists and candidates. And you're juggling as a consequence, maybe 30 or 40 individuals at various different stages of a process and having to get out interview details and, you know, get CVs over and wait for information back. And, and, and so you're juggling plates constantly it, on top of, I haven't just got to service these things. I have to continue to go and look for the next thing that's going to fill my diary once all of this lot is is no longer pressing. And so that forced me to sit down at the beginning of each morning and write down a priority list of what do I need to what do I need to get done? What what's what what are the key things that I need to accomplish today? And my my uh, initial boss, Stacey, was very good at kind of implementing that aspect of things, and then breaking the day down, getting a day planner and being really kind of really kind of basic about it and just being like, right, these two hours I'll focus on this. These two hours, that's where I'll fit my BD and these two hours I'll do, you know, and that kind of a process. I'm not quite as regimented as that anymore, but I think I think that mindset 
is still there in terms of I'm juggling all these things. I've got these podcasts. I need to do this. I need to do this. You know, I've got to edit this. I need to get that back to that person if I want them to be able to come back to me in time for me to hit this editorial deadline. Therefore, these are the things that I need to to hunker down on right now and allocate time to and make sure that I don't get distracted from. Yeah. And there's so many layers to that, isn't there? The, that that recruit, you've got the different people, the different people that you're, the, the, the people that you're getting roles for and then the different dynamics. There's a lot of things to have to, to have to do that. I think, yeah, the prioritizing is a key one. And then also you're right, actually zeroing in on what you have to do that day rather than trying to get everything done. Comes back to what we were saying in the beginning. It's like, stay, stay super focused and zero in on that. We spoke a little bit about some of the, the, the kind of the, how you stay on top of the goal. You know, you mentioned the goal setting and the kind of progress over the few months with how you, what you're going to do and what you're going to work on. How do you stay on point? How do you make sure that you are delivering all the different things? You do have kind of self-check-ins. Do you lean into speaking to your colleague when you have these meetings and that's your checkpoint? How do you how do you kind of um, ensure that you're staying on top of your goals and things you want to do, both business and personal? Because we've always like, it's not just about this, it's just as important to have personal goals that we're delivering on. How, how do you make sure you're kind of staying on top of those and, and delivering them? So from a work perspective, well, I mean, what's quite, what's, 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 Useful about my job now is every three months I have to report to the board. So there's, there's a certain amount of transparency that you can't escape with that. And I go in there and I go, I'm going to do this in the next three months. And then three months later, I go, go I did this. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, gets your, your, your kind of mind clear on what what's achieving and what's not. Personal, I know even in, in my personal stuff, I need goals to work towards. I, like fitness for me. It come back to that one because there's so many analogies between work and and and, phys- and 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 kind of looking after yourself from a health point of view. I can't just work out for the sake of working out, but I can if I know that there's an event coming up that, without being in good shape, I will fail at. So a target, right? Yes. And the other thing that I do is I tell everyone. I find that telling everyone and it's work, you know, and and fitness, whoever, whatever it might be. I'm going to run, I'm going to do this run. I'm going to host this event. I'm going to I'm going to put this on. I'm going to have this series out by this date. Like owning all of those announcements and and then following through on it. No no, I I've said I'm going to do this. I need to because I've told everyone I'm going to do it. So therefore, it's going to look really I'm going to look really bloody stupid if I don't. And it's I it's that kind of I like a bit of external pressure and I like I like say I mean, maybe it's not very positive way of thinking about it, but I kind of like setting myself up for failure where it's like, like there's nothing wrong with failure. Absolutely. Like I'll run events and they won't go to, to according to plan and I'll go, oh, I need to change that actually. But that's fine. You, that's how you learn. But it happens. And that's that's my way of, of making sure that I kind of have some accountability to myself and others. Sure. And that, and, and that can happen, can't it? If one is driven and like, yeah, I want to do this and I'll push myself to do this sometimes we don't catch up with what we've looked to achieve. So you're, you're there and you're like, okay, all right, so I haven't done this before. I probably need to readapt. So I, I, I agree with you when you corrected yourself on the whole failure thing. I think it's an annoying world, word that we got stuck in with, with, with bringing up. But I think it's, you know, we're all just moving forward and achieving what we're setting out to do. And sometimes we challenge ourselves and realise that we need to improve to get to the next stage. But I, don't, I, I think it's less failure, more of learning, right? I'd love to understand how you kind of keep yourself motivated when through really like really difficult times. I know, I, I mean, I, I, again, we're going back to the fitness thing, but I think being an expert and personal trainer myself, it's sort of very in tune 
with where, how we both think there. But, you know, there can be really difficult times in, in both work and, and training really harsh. What are your kind of key coping strategies to keep you going through those moments where you're like, like just what we just said, right? Huh, okay, this isn't quite going to the plan. How do you kind of keep yourself motivated through hard, hard times and, and, and cracking on? Uh, so I, look, I, I don't think this is necessarily that complicated. I have been diagnosed with something called primary sclerosing cholangitis, which basically means I could have anywhere between 5 and 25 years to live. They, they can't really tell me. It kills people younger than me. I'm in a pretty good place, though. I think that I'm in a reasonably small percentage of people who are quite lucky who have it, and they've certainly picked it up very, very early. There, are, there isn't a treatment. There isn't a cure. So you can have one or two reactions, especially when you kind of like... I like being fit. I like being being healthy. I don't I don't like to be perceived as being weak or or needing people. And you're getting wheeled in for your second biopsy or your second MRI scan, and the doctors are still saying, "Oh, this this doesn't look good," uh, or, or "This is quite serious." And it's like, right, you can either sit there and go, "Christ!" Like they're telling me that I might have a reduced life expectancy. Well, I could mope about that, but then what if I? Don't. What if I have like 25 years or 30 years and there are some people who do live with it for into their 70s and 80s and I've spent the entire time moping about something that may or may not happen? Like, what's the point in that? Doesn't make any sense. And I think I think with a work perspective, it's the same thing. It's like, all right, something might not something might not go as you planned. Big deal. Honestly, what's the worst that can happen? I've fallen over plenty of times in a professional setting. There's no point being embarrassed or being down about it. You you just kind of go, all right, fine. Let, let's make sure the next thing works. And maybe even that doesn't work, but you, you just keep that mindset because I think the alternative is frankly unworkable. That's, that's, I, they say you get real moments of clarity when you've got your cards on the table. Like, okay. How am I going to deal with this scenario? It sounds like it's brought, brought, brought you sort of real clarity around, okay, this has, this has, this has happened, but how, you know, how do I now deal with this and what do I need to do? And you're right about the mindset thing here because leaning into the things, the worrying about something that could happen isn't going to help one at all with the motivation or even if there is the opportunity to use positive energy, fitness, and actually that things may you know, maybe fine or may not. Either way, you're not giving one the best chance in any area by leaning into the possibilities that things could go not to plan or not right or go wrong with health. I, I hats off to you there. There's a there's a there's a real grassroots clarity there for you. And you know, it's not easy necessarily. Everyone has demons occasionally, and and I think that's normal. But I I just think that even if you have those slightly darker moments, that the only the only way out of it is to go. <laughs> What is the point in this? Like, it is not helping anyone. Yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic. So I suppose if we were to summarise to those listening who are list, who are thinking, right, so I want to really nail some core habits that are going to help with my next stages of success or to think about what they could do better or do differently or learn, sometimes just learning something completely different from someone else. What would be some, kind of your top sort of takeaways for some of the habits that help you to do what you need to do. I don't, as I said, believe in five and 10 year plans. I do think that writing down some objectives over the course of a year or something and having having kind of a, not a mission statement, but a, a kind of a, a statement of what it is that you're trying to achieve and then referencing back to that is a really healthy way of kind of deciding 
whether or not what you're doing is is contributing to where you want to get to. I think that keeping stuff manageable and 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 thinking about it like a project that you can focus on will propel you forward quicker. I, I can't I can't imagine anyone like I I'm not particularly money orientated, but I can't imagine anyone who wants to be a multimillionaire and and thinks that they have a plan to become that gets anywhere. But I can imagine that someone who's trying to make a thousand or ten thousand probably does get there. You know, it's 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 that accumulation of lots of small tasks that adds up to the bigger picture. And focusing on those is is I think a really positive thing. Just being okay with with falling down occasionally and 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 kind of accepting it and 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 giving yourself an opportunity to 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 succeed. Uh, what's that say? You know, it's better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. It's that kind of, an, of a mentality, like far better that you tried and that there was the opportunity for it to work and you gotta keep, you got to keep putting yourself out there to get anywhere. David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really selfishly very fascinating speaking to you. I've been wanting to talk to you about the, the habits and what keep you focused for a very long time. Thank you so much for sharing today um, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Cracking On With Purpose podcast, where I speak with high achievers and they reveal their routines and habits to get things done. Subscribe and sign up to listen to more episodes. Visit seanwinfield.com, follow on Twitter at seanwinfield and Instagram at sean.winfield. Thanks and see you next time.